Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So somebody lied to you. I don't know who it was, but I suspect it started when you were very, very young, and it included your parents at one point or another, and most all of your teachers, and many of the books and newspapers. Someone has been lying to you. Here it is. Ready? I'm going to shoot straight with you. You cannot be anything you want to be. They've been telling you that ever since you were in the crib. You can be anything you want to be. Now, if you're old enough to realize if I decided today to be something, say, like an NBA basketball player, uh, that is not true. And you go, yeah, but that's only because you're old as dirt. But that's not the reason. There's a whole lot of other reasons. I am absolutely not tall enough. You're like, yeah, but there is a guy who's 5'9". There was a guy who was 5'9". Yes, but I'm not willing to work as hard as he did on it. I don't want to learn to jump that high. I just don't. And you're like, well, yeah, but you could. No, I really don't think I could. Because, you know, you're not actually smart enough to do everything. You're not talented enough to do everything. Not every opportunity is available to you. It's just not. You're like, yeah, but that's so, like, defeatist. Well, it is in some ways, but it really isn't. It, it's actually just true. And so we should just acknowledge that. It's just one of the many, many lies that we believe. You're not going to be good-looking enough to do everything that's in the world that you might want to do. You're like, yeah, but like, you know, when you grow up, you could be president. Like, like any, even, anyone even wants that right now. Like, like, you might not be dishonest enough for that. Um, and so you can't just be everything that you would want to be. It's just one of these things. Like we have this in our head. We're like, oh my goodness, you know, you can do anything you want. You can always be anything you want. But the, but the reality is you can't. Now listen, I, I, I'm not saying, don't, I'm not saying, you know, you shouldn't work real hard or you shouldn't swing for the fence. And I'm certainly not saying don't be a dreamer and, and try to bring significant change and add real value. I'm not saying anything like that. Quite the opposite, actually. I think there's a whole lot more of that that we ought to be doing. But there's actually a way that you can do that in the way that you were made to do that. And there's so much beauty and there is so much freedom in that. I mean, just think it through for a minute. When kids are growing up, so for at one time, everybody wanted to be an astronaut. If everybody was an astronaut, who would build the spaceship? Like if we said, no, 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 you should all be astronauts, it wouldn't even make any sense. You know, everybody, when you ask a kid what they want to do, no one says, by the way, I want to be an accountant. But, but we need accountants. Like we, we, and you know, people are like, yeah, I just, kids, I want to be a firefighter. Awesome. That'd be great if you want to be a firefighter. That's fantastic. Somebody actually needs to make fire trucks so firefighters can do what they're going to do. You see, as soon as you start even putting it under just the little bit, the littlest bit of inspection, it starts to fall apart as this lie. It just simply isn't true. 
Now you think, all right, now some of you are already thinking hierarchy. You're like, yeah, 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 that's true. You can't be everything you want. Just be more than the next guy. Right? You start thinking in, in a hierarchy. You start saying, well, yeah, but like, if you get a chance to, to swing that bat and make that home run and win that World Series, that's what you should do. Because that's better than selling hot dogs in the stands. This is, we, we promote these ideas to our kids. Many of us still believe it. We're not content with the place that we're at in our own company because there's someone who is higher in the organizational structure. Is that what you really believe? Because this is what we, we teach the next generation so often. It's actually what causes so much of your own angst. You're, are you willing to say, here, let's just say it out loud. You think doctors are more important than nurses. Go ahead, tell the nurses next to you that. Go ahead. You think the principal at the school is somehow more important than the, than the person who's putting the food on the trays? Or the person who's cleaning up the, the, the classrooms? And you're like, well, we all know it's true. We can't say it out loud. No, it's actually not true. It's actually a lie. And yet we continue to put all of this pressure because we buy in to this whole host of lies about what we do and what it means. I think there's tons of these kind of lies that we all embrace about our work. Like, for some, work is just a way to pay the bills. It's just it. I'm just trying to pay the bills. That's why I do the work I do, just to pay the bills, make ends meet. That's so sad. According to the scriptures, it's so, so much more than that. It's not just a matter of paying the bills. That's an awesome side benefit, but it's not the real thing. Others, they buy fully into the American dream, which is ironic as soon as you start to like think it through. Work really, really hard if you have to, because if you can work really, really not for the same amount of money, you should do that. But if you work really, really hard now and you make lots and lots of money, then you could buy a whole lot of stuff that you're mostly going to store and then you can have all of that awesome stuff for the day that you retire because that's when life really happens. How pitiful an existence. You're going to work really, really hard to get away from your really, really hard work? How does this make any, any sense in your minds? But we do this. We do this all the time. Others, they get psychologically fused to what they do. So this is, this is heading in another direction altogether. Their value and their identity, their worth, ends up being, being locked in with what it is that they do in their nine to five. But your value and your worth go far, far beyond that. You say, yeah, but you seem like you're trying to say both things. Yes, I am. Because the scriptures, they, they cut this path right through the center of all of these lies to create this beautiful picture of what it means to work. And I, and I, I, I think through this, right? So, so let's just take for a minute this idea, right? You're, you're, it, it's, it's not, some, some will say, well, it's not what I do. It's who I am. Well, yeah, that's, that, is, that is true. 
But that's also now going too far in the other direction. It's a good corrective because some of us, because you got your value and your identity and you're fused to what you do and all that, that, that then it's great to start to, to think through this in a different way. But, but is that the way you want to go? It's not, it's who I am. It's not what I do. Actually, what you do is still a core part of your humanness, of what it means to be, be, be create, a created image of God. I, uh, some years ago, I, and, and we have, by the way, Christians have all sorts of baptized uh, versions of these things. Years ago, I knew a woman who was great at making a ton of money. And what she did was also very, very helpful in society. Just, she did some great work. Uh, but she also ended up just making a ton of money, like piles and piles and piles of money, which she gave away to churches with a reckless kind of generosity. And I remember a conversation I was having, and I was like, you know, this is amazing. Like, you can give away in one moment, in a year or even less, everything that I earn, my entire annual income, all of it. You can give it away just like that. Like, that's crazy. To me, that's amazing. And that you would be willing to be able to just let go of resources. And then I heard this, this curious thread develop. It was this idea that, well, you know, that's what I can do. You know, I think the reason I work is to give this money to the church. And don't get me wrong, I think that's amazing, okay? <laughs> just, just for the record, I think that's great. But it made me a little bit sad because she's not, her, she's not, uh, her, her worth and her value isn't attached to the number of zeros that she could write on a check. It's just not. Her actual work matters. It actually matters. See, we, we do this. We baptize our own version of these lies. Like, for instance, we take the sacred and the secular. So everything you do for God matters, and everything you do elsewhere is just a step down from that. By the way, clergy love helping you believe this lie. And so they'll, they'll right, and this is what we do. We go, if you're doing church work, so if you're in a small group and you're going to church and you're in a discipleship group and you're doing your daily devotions and stuff like that, that's, that's what really matters and the rest of it is, you know, you got to do what you got to do, but that's what really matters. That's the sacred work. I disagree. There is no divide between the sacred and the secular. If you had asked Jesus, you know, what his spiritual life was all about, I don't think that would be a category he had. There's not spiritual life and regular life. There's life. There's life. That's who you are. You can't just simply separate these things and divide them and say, oh, these are the only things that really, really matter in life. It's just not the way the whole of the Bible story is told. There are so many lies that we believe about our work. And I just, the Bible just cuts this beautiful picture and it weaves its way through the story of humanity and it gives us so much more than these lies. And so I'm hoping to dismantle a few of them here this morning for us. Now, we're going to be looking at a passage in Genesis. So if you have a Bible uh, or you're using a Bible app, you can also feel free to kind of open it up there. We'll put some of the verses on the screen. 
But we start right out of the gate here. And what we see is that God is a master worker, right? So in the beginning, God, say it, created. Wait, let's do that again. In the beginning, God created. You know, why don't you just put worked in there? Because that's what he did. He got busy. He created. He worked. He's a content creator. And so much more. God started the whole thing. The very first thing we learn about God, all of this big book, the very first thing is that God's a worker. God created. He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Tohu wabohu. That's the, the Hebrew behind it. Formless, empty, void. It's actually a really fascinating. Volumes have been, been, been written about this. It has to do with this idea that it was raw. It was untamed. In its original form, it was kind of wild and crazy. And God was about to set himself to the work of crafting and shaping and, and extracting and pulling out of this wild, crazy, untamed creation. And he was going to create something beautiful, this thing called Eden. The word itself meaning delight. He was going to create this place of shalom and peace. That's the work that God does, a master worker. And then we're going to find out later in the story, we're not looking at it today, that he rested. And, you know, we think about that. He worked six days and he rested. And so we all talk about that. Like, oh, how many days should you work? And, and the Sabbath is way, way, way more important than any of those kinds of things. But, but rest is certainly at the very heart of it. But we look at it, we're like, well, how did God rest? Like, did he run out of steam? Was he at the end of the week? He's like, I just need to veg a little bit, man. I wish Netflix was already invented because, like, I'm like, no. It, what it has to do with is God, like, stepped back. He looked at the work that he had created. And he, 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 he sat back in his lounge chair and he grabbed a cold one and he delighted in this delightful thing he had made. Have you ever had that experience when you sit back and you see the work of your hands and you're like, this is good. That's what God did. He sat back after a solid week of nine to fives and creative work and all of this stuff and he was like, this is so good. This is so good. He rests in it after having done it all, right? We, we, do we think, we, he was a builder, he was an engineer, he was a marine biologist, he was a horticulturalist, he was, think of all that he did in those first days, right? And all of the, the everything that you could imagine wanting to do that you feel compelled to do, he'd done it. He took these raw materials and he made beautiful things out of it. Do you do that? Because that's what your creator did, made beautiful things. He, he tamed the wild, and he brought this incredible stuff out of it, this, this thing that creates delight and human flourishing. That's what he did. And, and, and so all of that, God, what's behind all of it, his, his work as a horticulturalist and a marine biologist and a physicist and, and, and a farmer and a gardener and all of that stuff, what's behind it all is that he's a worker. And he calls you. You are God's royal co-worker. You are. That's what he's doing, right? I mean, you, 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 you can see it. In, 
if you, if you go down just a little bit, you go down to verse 26. He says, then God said, let us make human beings. Let us make mankind. Let us make man and woman in our image to be like us. I can't tell you how many volumes have been written about this, the idea of the image of God. In the ancient world, interestingly, this phrase, the image of God, was pretty common, uh, which I hadn't realized that. As I was kind of reading it again, it's a, it was a pretty common phrase. People actually used to use that phrase throughout the ancient world to describe certain people. Now, guess. Just give me a wild guess who you think claimed the title image of God. Can anyone guess? Who would, who would call themselves the image of God? The kings, the Caesars, the people in power, as you would always expect. Because what they're going to do is they're going to take this ancient deep truth and they're going to say, look, I'm the image of God. Not, not you guys. I'm the image of God. I'm the imago Dei. Another perversion, another lie that the great man is the one who is in the image of God. And you're like, oh man, I'm so glad we're past that. But are we? Or do we still believe all that crap? Because I think we do. I think we do. Right? The, 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 the billionaire CEO, C-suite, right? This is the playboy. That's what, this is it. We're like, oh man, those are, those are the people, the important people. Those are the ones that really, this is why, you know, it's like, this is the thing. The influencers are more important than the ones they influence. They're the ones with all of the status. It's all of the people who could, who could collect the money or who sit at the top of the organizational chart. We still actually believe that there are some people who are, who are up to here and some who are down here. And our hope is to get up there a little bit more and a little bit more. This image of God, we still believe these lies. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. He made humankind in his image. That means he made you, and he made you, and he made you, and he made you, and he made you. And he said, you are the image of God. And at the very least, there's a, it means a whole lot. But at the very least, we know that it has to do with us being his creative co-workers in this world. Now, not all of the ancient creation stories, we call them the ancient creation myths, like, uh, uh, you know, there's a whole host of them out there that you could actually go and read through, but one of them, Enuma Elish, it was this god Marduk, and, and this is an ancient age, this is like around the same time that the Bible was being written and these stories were circulating among the, uh, the Jewish people, other traditions had them, and this is what Marduk says, I will establish a savage, man shall be his name. He shall be charged with the service of the gods, that the gods might be at ease. Interestingly, you get some of the same elements as the biblical creation narrative. Some of the elements are still there, but they're twisted, they're perverted. There's lies that are entering into this. Wait, so the gods got tired, they got fatigued, because work isn't good. That's what's behind this idea. So we need to make some cheap labor, so they can do the work for us, so that we, the gods, who are the important people, can rest. 
and we can rest. This is, this, it's exactly opposite of what the Bible is telling us. It's exactly opposite. Work is good, and we're in the image of a working God who doesn't get tired out and he needs other people to come alongside. He's inviting us in as his partners, which is such an unbelievable gift to us that we are God's royal co-workers. In Genesis 1.26, he says, they will reign over, this is us, this is the Bible version of it, they will reign over the fish in the sea. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, all the small animals. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. This is it, the image of God. He creates us. We work and we reign. We reign. We're not here to do the work the gods don't want to do, but we're here to rule and reign. We are these co-heirs, as the New Testament puts it, with God. So different from what so much of the ancient world would have taught. In fact, we actually know this to be true because if you think about our own contemporary mythologies, we create these stories again, right? So the, 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 the normal old awkward boy becomes a powerful wizard that saves the world. Kids go walk through, you know, a, a closet and, you know, a wardrobe and they become princes and princesses in a mythical realm, with talking animals. Kid, awkward kid gets bit by a radiated spider and boom, he becomes this incredible godlike creature that will do amazing things and help the world. Why are we creating all of these mythologies? Just like history always has, because this is deep in us. This is actually the real story. This is actually who we are. We're to reign with God, rule in his created order in this new place that he was creating called Eden. So what does this God-ordained work kind of look like? And this is sort of a fascinating thing because the scriptures will take us through a little bit of a journey here, but they drop these key words along the way which give us just a little bit of a taste of what it means to reign with God, to rule with God. And the very first there is that is the actual word that he used for reigning, right? So when, when we use that word, it's kind of foreign to us because it's a very royal, kingly, you know, kind of a, a word. But imagine it like this. Imagine you, you think through with a storyline so far. God had this wild and crazy world, this formless and void world. And out of it, he carved this place called Eden. But, but it wasn't finished, isn't that fascinating? God didn't finish the creation. He could have. He could have, he could have said, you know what? I'm not going to put a garden in there. I'm not going to make a little place called Eden. I'm actually going to make a place that has cities and streets and farms, and, and I'm going to have it all there already. You just guys got to move in and take over. I'm going to put vineyards in there. They're going to be ready for you to harvest next week. He didn't do that. He actually started the, crea the creative work, and then he handed it off to us. And he said, you keep doing it. So if you want to think about this word reign, you can think of it in that way, that we are going to take the creation to the place that God had intended it to go. That's what we're doing. We're taking the whole of creation, all of the work that he started, we are going to bring it to its 
completion. That was his plan for humanity. And then he gave us these, these other little hints along the way. In verse 28, God blessed them and said, be fruitful. This is a fascinating command to me because it, it feels like an unnecessary command. Like, be fruitful. So he told Adam and Eve, hey guys, get together, have kids. Like, we needed a command for that. Like, don't you think we would have figured out how to do it? Like, literally it? Like, I think we would have figured it out, right? So, like, like why is this a necessary command? Now we're trying to tell people, stop doing it. But, like, this is... But we, so that was a part of it. And I love that because it actually does start it. Because we, we have kids and then we have grandkids and then we have kids. And this is the very basis of what God is going to do next with us. But it is a part of what it means. So like all of the work around that. And so, you know, if, you, you know, if you're a, a, a nanny and you're an au pair and you're pediatricianing and you're, uh, you know, you're a, you're a teacher and you're, you're helping build the next generation, this is all part of this be fruitful. And so parents, this is such a vital part of your role. And it's more than that. It is birthing the next generation to become the kinds of people to inherit what they were intended to do from the very beginning. So when we're raising up this next generation, this is the kind of thing we ought to be telling them. This is who you were meant to be. You can do this and so much more because that isn't the only kind of, you know, child building isn't the only thing. He also says, fill the earth. And this has to do more with civilization building, right? So you start gathering up some kids, and then you have some grandkids, and, and then you, you need to make your farm a little bit bigger, and then you need to make even bigger farms, and then you need roads to get the farms. And so who's going to build those roads, and who's going to build the wagons that are on those roads, and then who's going to, and you see what happens as we start to build civilization, we actually start to build culture. Because then when there's enough of us and we have enough division of labor, then all of a sudden someone shows up and you're like, wow, they're actually really good musically. Or they're really good in, in taking raw materials and carving something out of them for lots of people to use. And hey, this guy figured out how to make a comb so we could actually look better. And that guy made a toothbrush. He should be one of the most famous people in the whole of the world because, man, that was a huge win for humanity. And so all of these people, what are they doing? They're building civilization. This was actually God's intention for us. When he says, go, fill the earth, multiply, cover the earth, and you're going to build civilizations as you go with it. Another word that he uses there is uh, in the translation is fill the earth and govern it. And this is a word to govern it that we often have uh, in the past used the word subdue. And of course, this whole idea has been so horribly abused you know, this is what leads to strip mining and it's what leads to pollution, the end of species and all that because we feel like, oh man, this is ours. God gave it to us. We get to do whatever we want with it. It was like, really? God gave it to you as a steward. Think through that responsibility just a little bit. You think you can do anything you want with what God has entrusted to you? I think not. I think not. I think we ought to do it in the way that God had intended us to do it. So what does that look like? Well, here, interestingly, the word here is uh, kibosh. That's what, where we get our word kibosh. It actually comes from this word, to subdue it. And, uh, and uh, John Mark Comer, he kind of points out that, you know, that's what we do. We actually kibosh the creation. But what it meant to do was to shape it. That's what it, that's what it ought to have been. It, it, it has been used negatively, but it could have been something that John Mark Comer wrote a book, Garden City. By the way, that's the book I've based so much of this message on today. So if, if you like anything in it, John Mark Comer wrote it. I stole it. And the other stuff that you didn't understand, I added all that. 
And so John Mark Homer, he said it like this. He said, subdue it, meaning harness the raw, uncut potential of the earth itself. Make something of the world you've been dropped into. You have a forest, do something with it. You have a river, make it work for you. You have metal deep in the earth's crust, get it out. You have sun and wind. Next slide. You have sun and wind and soil and rain, do something with it. Plant crops, build houses, invent solar power, design computers, make music, shape art, come up with technology, fill the earth, and subdue it. That's what we were meant to do. What an awesome, awesome charge. But he isn't quite done yet. Because if you go over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, he tells us after God placed the man in the Garden of Eden, and there's these two very awesome little words here, he said to tend and watch over it. Now this word for tend is actually the word to work. So we actually now have that word, to work. The very cool thing about this word is it's also the word for worship, right? We come here and we, we go to worship songs. And so we think of, so, so often we just, we take worship and we're like, oh, it's what we do on Sunday when we sing songs. No, worship is your work. Singing songs is one manifestation of worship, but it's so much more than that. It's actually what you do. You worship God. You work for God. You serve God. It's translated in all of those different ways. And then he says, when, when he says to tend it, right, we, we, that's to work it, and then to watch over it, this is the protective piece. This is why we ought to do everything we can to, 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 to steward this thing well, because we're to protect it. We're to watch over it. We're the ones who are stewarding it in God's place. And so like this is, and here's another part of these two words. When they're used together later in the scriptures, it's actually the words that, that are applied to the priests. This is what they do in the temple. They serve and they watch over and they protect. See, all of this royal and, and priestly and kingly language, it's all wrapped up in this, this Im in image of God, the imago Dei, that you being a partner with God to help us understand what it means to do the work that God has called us to do. Tim Keller, he summarizes this like this. He says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular to thrive and flourish. If God made you to do that in whatever role it is and you are doing it, that is good and pleasing to your creator. It is good and it's pleasing. If you could say, that's what my work looks like, that's what I am doing. Not all work fits that bill and so I understand that. You should absolutely get out of any sort of work that isn't able to do that. But the vast majority of what we do can fall into these categories. And when you do what God has given you to do, then God smiles upon your life and you've joined him in that great work. It's such a beautiful picture that the scriptures give to us because the work that you do now actually lasts for eternity. Who you've become and the skills that we have developed and, and all of this stuff, it all goes in, into the new world, right? All right, so the, you're not leaving earth to go to heaven, my friends. You, all right, you will for a little bit. Let me be more precise. For a little bit, you will, but guess where it all ends up? Here, in the new heaven and the new earth, here on earth, where we will still be doing these things. We, there will still be work to do. We will still be extracting things and shaping them and working them and creating this Eden once again. But here's the thing, the Eden that was in the, it, remember, it wasn't complete. 
At the end of the Bible story, we get a new picture of Eden. It comes down out of heaven from God in the city of Jerusalem. The same language used to describe the Garden of Eden is used to describe this celestial city that is now here on earth. And so it's as if God is saying the whole plan all along was to create this garden city where humanity would thrive, where culture would be rich and civilizations would expand and we would see all of the incredible wonder and spectacular things that God has done and he's inviting you to be a part of it, not just here and now, but for all of eternity. We get into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to Timothy, and he tells him this. He says, he says it's the second Timothy passage. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, right? So think this through. If we die with him, he's speaking about Jesus. If we trust in the death of Jesus, if we accept his death for us, if we die with him, when we end this life, if we die in him, we will also live with him. That's the resurrection. So here's the, the whole of the, the gospel message wrapped up here in a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign. He's talking about the end of time, the new heaven, the new earth. And he's saying, listen, he goes all the way back to Genesis. And he's saying, this is what you were meant for from the beginning. Follower of Jesus, this is what you were meant for. This is who you are. It's what you are becoming. And the fullness of it is so rich. Essential nature for who we are as humans is to work. We are co-workers in this great task of reshaping the planet for human flourishing, for now and for all of time. This is a great and wonderful privilege. And so what kind of ruler will you be tomorrow when you go to work? The Jesus people ought to be the best. We ought to work the hardest and the smartest and be the most trustworthy and be the most compassionate and be the most kind because you're not working for your boss. You're working for the king of kings. You're working for the, for the Savior of your souls. You're joining him in this great work. Whatever you show up to tomorrow morning, whatever that is that takes the lion's share of your time, a third or more of your whole life will be dedicated to this thing, these kinds of things. How will you do it? Will you be the kind of king and the kind of a queen that he could entrust to you? Will be the prince and the princess of royal stature that he has called you, that you truly and genuinely are, or not? Because we can be, and this is, what our, this is who we were meant to be. Father, what I am asking is that you would, would cause our hearts to be so enraptured with this vision of who we can be, of who we were meant to be, that, Lord, it would transform every single morning when we wake up and we hit that alarm and we get out of bed and we get on that train and we get in that commute, we do our... Father, this whole thing, may, may this just transform the, the way we do our work, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about the people that we are serving, the people who are all around us. Lord, may we do our work in such a way that we honor you in it. All of these things, Lord, if we're, if we're working, if we're, 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 we're wiping snotty noses all day long, Lord, let us understand that these are your children. This is the next generation. This is part of what it means to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth and to bring culture and hope and civilization and human flourishing. And Lord, in each of these ways, what some might look at as small and some might look at as great, Lord, these are the roles that you have given to us. These are the tasks, tasks that you have called us to. And when we do them in your name and in your way, brings great joy 
to your heart because we are made in your image. The Imago Dei. Thank you for this great gift, Lord. I'm praying that you would make this more and more true of us each and every day. In Christ's name, amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.